podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Doctor has won the European Cup for Manchester United. It's absolutely astonishing. The double is definitely Manchester United's. Too far for Ronaldo to think about it. Oh! Absolutely sensational! It's red in Russia. This English night in Europe is Manchester United's night. We've had the international break now. Manchester United have some more injury concerns ahead of a crucial clash against Liverpool that some have claimed could spell the end for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer as manager. United themselves insist that's not true and after a couple of weeks without United playing, we've had a chance to reflect on things. We preview the Liverpool game and talk more generally about all things United and as always, we have our extensive youth loan and women's roundup on Series 5, Episode 11 of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. game to react to this week Jack and that I guess gives us the opportunity to to reflect on the season so far um, we're fewer than four days away from a big game against Liverpool it could I guess in one way it could hardly come at a worse time given United's form but it also presents a chance a big chance for Solskjaer's team to kickstart their their campaign their season that seems unlikely though we'll, we'll talk about Liverpool more in a second but since we've had no game over the last week how have if at all your thoughts kind of your thoughts on the situation at United changed? I wouldn't say my thoughts have changed too drastically from the last time we spoke on it on the podcast. I think it's still not an acceptable situation, really, and not something that is easy for us as fans to get behind. I think maybe, you know, come to think of it a little bit more in the long term when it's a little bit removed from any games and, you know, maybe think that ultimately whether we finish fifth or ninth this season actually in the long run might not matter too much and that it it might be worth accepting the a terrible season a truly terrible season like I'm talking about mid-table finishing if that is what it takes to for something to to change and, and for us to kind of move forward eventually but I wouldn't say too much has, has really changed on on the thoughts of, of this season specifically yeah I'd agree I guess I guess time kind of numbs the anger to a certain extent but I, th- I think to me been a, it's been a really busy period for United in terms of yeah, how many games they've had we've had loss after loss draw after draw and it's we, we've constantly had this this is kind of anger behind us and not had the chance to really reflect on it and I, I think when you're not watching United play every three days it, it becomes even more obvious where the club's actual problems lie and it's not with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer um, and I think now I've had this break and who knows we're football fans we're incredibly fickle it might change but I, I think at the moment I'm I'm now definitely of the opinion that United have to back Solskjaer and they can reevaluate the end of the season and see if there's progress being made either on the pitch or off it because it has to be by the end of the season there has to be significant progress in one of those factors Yeah, both would be preferable but um, 
one of those and, and you would think you'll be off the pitch where progress is made has to has to be shown so United can reevaluate at the end of the season but I think now I'm, I'm pretty confident that I, I want them to back Solskjaer for at least the next eight nine months well I think something we said on the last podcast is, is very true that Solskjaer might not be the solution here but he's also not necessarily the problem if that if that makes sense I think he he's probably not the best manager that we could have at the football club at the moment and I think most people would probably accept that argument at the moment but I also don't think getting a new manager solves all of our problems and in some ways it might take a season where we finish ninth or 10th to actually you know, create a, a sort of almost like reset button on the entire football club because what is it now five six seasons of of poor results or at least results that are poor in the eyes of fans haven't been enough to kind of create that that reset of the club and so maybe it, it will take a terrible season for that to happen and so that's kind of what I mean when I say that whether we finish fifth or sort of ninth or tenth this season might not make that much difference because we're still not getting Champions League football we're still not getting the results that we want but actually finishing lower down it, it, I, I struggle with this because you would have thought after five years of mediocrity that would have been enough to reset yeah. everything that was going on and it hasn't but I mean who knows maybe finishing mid-table and genuinely being a mid-table team this year might be the catalyst for massive wholesale changes yeah I think there's there's so much of it there's so much to do with United where you kind of just question how how people haven't realised what the problem is yet and perhaps they have realised what the problem is but they're just they don't want to to see it that way so obviously you question that but at the same time it seems the problem I have with, which is the same as as you, I think, is every step of decreasing quality for United has seemed like it will be the set, the step that triggers the reboot, that triggers the change in in how the club is run, and it just hasn't happened. You would think falling so heavily under David Moyes would yeah. be a wake up call. You would think having to sack Louis Van Gaal after he's won the FA Cup would be a wake up call, and you think Jose Mourinho in particular would be a wake up call. Um, and I, my hope is that they've already realised with Solskjaer's poor form is that they've already realised they accept that they now need to make serious changes the the problem I have is during this international break the papers have been full of articles going in depth on, on how United is run um, how they think that they finally managed to get player recruitment right now we've had one good summer Perhaps they have got it right, finally. But this constant briefing of the press after so many years of mediocrity, as you say, is so frustrating. Particularly in... They, they, United just seem... They never accept silence. They always... It seems to me United always feel like they have to fill the papers with something and they're going to try and make it positive. And there was the uh, the expected leaks about a new technical director coming in this time, oh, Edwin yeah, Van der Sar. And... Yeah. It's, it's it's just a, it's the same things that's the thing with United is that the same issues always come on and off the pitch and and that's not a surprise so we've said it before that the the lack of direction at the top of the club in relation to transfers and, and recruitment and strategy feeds onto the pitch because there's no direction on the pitch either and the the same problem with uh this kind of just relaying of the, of the old same stuff over and over again is exactly the same thing. It happens on and off the pitch. We see the same patterns happen under various managers of, oh, we're going to appoint a technical director every time the, the newspaper's a bit quiet. 
or there's some criticism for United and on the pitch it's well United have a, a decent run of games it looks like they're a really good counter-attacking side and then you realise that actually they, they can't create goals at all it makes sense if you don't have any direction you don't have a clear plan in your recruitment strategy and the kind of players you're going to bring in then you're not going to have a clear plan on the pitch it's what we've been saying for years that part of the reason why City and Liverpool have been so successful over the last few years is that they have a plan that they can work towards and when they sign players, they make a point of signing players that fit into what they're trying to do. You know, that, you know even, even though we all complain about, you know, City's oil money and all this stuff, quite often they don't actually sign the most expensive players. They don't often sign players that are established world-class footballers yet by the time they get to City. They become world-class players there because they are bought, because they fit into their style. They fit into what, at the moment, Pep and before that, all of Manuel Pellegrini and all the, all the previous managers, they fit into what they were trying to do. And and that all, then feeds down onto the football pitch because if your recruitment strategy, if your board is all pulling in one direction, your team will also be pulling in one direction. And then yeah. the football you play, lo and behold, becomes much more cohesive. We haven't had that probably since David Gill left the club. Yeah, I think I think it's just the things with these reports. In there was there was one in the Times, one in the Telegraph, one in the Athletic. Different. They they all differed. To be fair, they weren't all just the trotted out same brief, but they seem very positive about how United have have changed on certain matters and the plans for the future. And it is it's positive until you remember how many times we've seen such empty words over the last half a decade is never followed up with the right action so what United have been saying in this October international break is very positive or not saying but but leaking to journalists about how they turned down Neymar because they weren't sure about his his personality and and the fact that he just wanted money how they researched 15 right backs before signing Aaron Wambasaka so there are obviously positive things there but that's what United want you to hear but also I mean um, doing you're doing a lot of research on a sign and you're about to spend 50 million pounds on shouldn't be something that we have to show off about that should just be part and parcel yeah. of, of signing a player I mean that's like yeah. that's like someone bragging that they went to three different car dealerships before they spent 50 grand on a car that's something you'd expect I'd be worried if they didn't have to do that so the fact that that's almost something yeah, guess, they, like they have to brief the press about to get some sort of, some kind of credit from fans is it's ridiculous. Yeah, I guess that's the other thing about United now is that as fans on and off the pitch again, the same patterns on and off it is we've, we've got such low expectations for something like this. It's like, oh, brilliant, United are finally researching their signings. And and yeah, yeah, that should absolutely be happening all the time. Uh, but the thing is, there was all this positive news. There was also a report that Mourinho signed Fred for fifty-two million because he didn't actually want him, but he thought United just wouldn't give him another midfield if he didn't sign Fred. So he just went for him anyway, uh, which is absolutely typical Mourinho and also typical United. Um, there are a lot of there's a lot of talk about the January transfer window because we're in October, obviously. So papers and, and fans have decided that. All talk must now focus on on the January transfer window, which is so so many games away. It, it really shouldn't be the focus now. But um, the Athletic have claimed that United are targeting four signings in January. I mean, seems baffling to me. I'd be very shocked if we sign anyone in January of who would come in yeah. as a first team player. I mean, historically, United don't really use the January transfer window that much, both under Ferguson and and since then. I mean, really, the only significant signings we've made in January recently were Juan Mata and Alexis Sanchez. I mean, the Alexis signing obviously went did not go go as expected, yes. <laughs> and the 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 Juan Mata signing really was, even though he he he's turned out to be a pretty good player and was someone that we needed, was a bit of a panic signing really in the middle of of David Moyes' season. It was also that Mata 
uh, he, he's had some good moments, but should have been a far better player than than he has been. Like pretty yeah. much everyone United have signed. I, yeah. I just think that yeah, there's only two types of January signings that work well. The first is kind of a young player with potential, but not too much hype, so they don't have to start all the time. Who can use the second half of the season to kind of settle in with the club before a good preseason and, and then getting the season started. And the other is a seriously good player who can settle immediately, but they are very rare and very expensive. So I just think United should be focusing on having a list of summer targets with backups and be ready to back Solskjaer with a a serious amount of money. Don't waste it in January. Just spend the 100, 200, 300 million that's needed in, in in, in June and July and forget about January because unless United are embroiled in some kind of relegation battle, as they kind of currently are. Um, they don't need to to worry about January. We can just get the season over with. Somehow, I mean, we've written off the season by October, which is incredible. Well, yeah, and as, as sad as this is to kind of admit, to be fair, by January, our season probably will be over in terms of actually doing something in yeah. in the league or, you know, all right, maybe we'll still be in the FA Cup or the Europa League or something, but we're not really going to have any anything to play for in the league for the majority of the season, you would think, come January. So what's the point in paying probably double the price for a player because you always pay massively inflated prices in January? What's the point in paying overinflated prices for a player when actually they're not really going to help us that much? The whole point of January signings is that it's someone that's going to give you a boost and and sort of get you through to the end of the season. And for us, although that would be great to have a new signing, we don't really have anything to give us a boost towards. So much rather just wait, pay a more, more normal price in the summer and get everything done then when they, all the new signings can come in and have a proper pre-season with the club. Yeah, I think the the other thing I'd be interested to talk about from a, a transfer window kind of view is a lot of the talk this week as well has been about how, and, and in the summer as well to be fair, about how United have got this new focus on young British players. And I completely understand it. And, and Wan-Bissaka is a very good signing, Dan James is a good signing. United have benefited from these kind of transfers before in a, in a big way um, throughout all of their managers Fergie, Busby and, and all between Atkinson, Sexton and, and Doherty but the uh, I just have some concerns it seems like United are kind of so when Edward was first started as, as chief executive at United there was this interview where he said United should have a Ballon d'Or contender at any point in their in their team and United should be signing Galactico signings like Real Madrid. And then that's obviously changed now. Um, and it, it even changed in the last three years. And then now it's gone on to this British emphasis, young British emphasis. Now, I get it, but it also I also have fears that United will dig their own holes, dig their own graves by focusing, if they are, solely on these kind of players because British players are notoriously expensive. Uh, and even more expensive for United because everyone hates United and everyone knows how much money they have. They also demand yeah. higher wages a lot of the time, a lot more pressure, and <laughs> most of the time, not as good. So it, it just seems a bit of a weird one for me. Well, again, it, again, it just seems like a, another way of, of United kind of briefing the press on a, a new sort of strategy that is almost as much a marketing strategy as it is an actual recruitment strategy. Of oh we're going to remake this team in a, in that proper British way and play proper good British football with British players in the team. It's like well actually fans don't really care about that in the long run. 
I don't care if we have a team of 11 English players or 11, 11 non-English players. If, as long as we're winning the league, that's all I really care about, you know? You you don't like players because of where they're from. You like players because of who they are and the way they play on the pitch, really. So I honestly, I'm not sure that this whole young English thing will stick around for too long because I think they'll so slowly realise that it's just not sustainable to be going after young English players because, like you said, they're expensive. They're so expensive. They're expensive. They have way too much pressure on them, which we've already seen destroy some players' careers. They have way too much pressure on them. They're too expensive. And often, although the experience of playing in the Premier League is helpful in terms of making the transition to another Premier League club, I actually don't think the, the kind of training that they get, especially at a younger age, is that great. And so you end up with players who technically are not actually that good. Chris Smalling. Yeah. Could make that argument about Aaron Wan-Bissaka as well, to be fair. Yeah, someone who is who is turned into a right back at a, at a very late age and he's doing really well, but technically hasn't got some of the things that right backs would be required to have in a, in a lot of other countries. Um, I mean, even to a lesser extent, look at Jesse Lingard and Marcus Rashford, two extremely talented players playing in forward roles, who I think with the kind of talent that they have, if they were brought up in any other country, would probably now be a lot further ahead in their careers than they really are. But their techniques are a little bit scruffy and, and just very inconsistent. Yeah. I mean, I think United will probably change their, their tactics when Leicester demand £100 million for James Madison or or something like that. And United yeah. go, ah, um, <laughs> I think we should probably start looking abroad now. Um, right, we, we yeah. should move on to previewing the Liverpool game. United do have injuries. Anthony Martial hoping to be back, though. So is Aaron Basaka, who we've just been talking about. But David De Gea possibly out with a groin injury. Um picked it up for Spain against Sweden he got his first team spot uh, back for Spain and played well until until this injury and I, I think the key facts against Liverpool in any game is is David De Gea often <laughs> so that's a that's a big concern it is it is a big concern but I am a lot more confident about our backup goalkeeper than I think most teams in the league are I mean Romero is no is no David De Gea but I Obviously, I'd much prefer to have De Gea in there against Liverpool. Don't get me wrong. But Romero is a very, very competent backup. I'm not saying he's going to be able to single-handedly save us a game like De Gea will, but I don't think he's going to lose us the game yeah. either. Yeah, I, I guess Yeah, that's the difference. Is De Gea could rescue a point for United after a, a 90-minute barrage from Liverpool. And Romero, you just yeah. can't see doing that. Um he will let in the goals that you expect him to let in, whereas De Gea will save the goals that you just have every confidence they're going to hit the back of the net when they're they're struck from the player's foot. Um, so um, we could just hope that, that De Gea will be fit. We'll see. There's been no word from United. Spain's doctor has said it. he had an issue and he, he played on um, because he wanted to. Let's let's talk about a few other things. Axel Twenzebe or Victor Lindelof against Liverpool? For me, I'd probably go Lindelof. Um just because I don't think he's done anything wrong to warrant Twanzebe playing in front of him. But I would be very happy with Twanzebe playing as well. I think he's done very, very well when he's come into the side. I just don't think you can warrant dropping Lindelof at the moment because I don't think Twanzebe has played really any better than, than Lindelof necessarily. And Lindelof has, has been absolutely fine so far this season. So I think... There's no point disrupting that Maguire-Lindelof partnership if you don't have to, especially in a big game. Yeah, I think that's that's fair enough. The only concern I'd have is if Paul Pogba isn't fit, which I don't think he will be. Um, it looks like he's going to be out for the, the the whole of October. 
then I think Twanzebe gives you more from, from the base of defence in terms of speeding up the play. I think Lindelof is a good passer with the ball, but in terms of setting the tempo from defence, I think Twanzebe kind of makes the game go by quicker and, and sets that for, for United, which Pogba normally has to do when Lindelof is playing, as we've we've seen before. Now, the, the front three, Rashford... And let's just talk about Rashford for a second, because... He scored for England against Bulgaria. Quite a few players scored for England against Bulgaria, to be fair. But he's he does show his quality for England. And he still starts for them ahead of Jadon Sancho. And it, it kind of sums United's problems up. Is that he drowns in the in the pressure and expectation at United. And uh, when he's put in a, a confident England side where his role is, is much clearer... Uh, and there are other players to take on responsibility like Kane and Sterling and many of us, to be fair, then he, he looks confident and, and plays much better. I just think it's worth remembering quite how good Rashford is. He's 21. Um, he's a he's a really good player. You don't, I don't need to pull out how many goals he scored, how many trophies he's won, because I've done that before on this podcast, but he just is a really good player going through a bad spell. And United shouldn't be relying on him, and that's that's the problem. Yeah, it is a problem, because he's still a young player, and we shouldn't have to be relying on, on a 21-year-old to kind of be our saviour. But he's going through a patch of not great form, at least with United. But as we've said before, he's a massive confidence player. And so hopefully his goal, his very good goal for England last week, can kind of help give him a boost as he comes back to United. And it, I know, I, I'm quite critical of Marcus Rashford. I feel like probably more critical than most, just because he frustrates me in how much talent he has and that he doesn't necessarily always show that. But it is... It is easy to forget he is a very good player especially when he's on top form and these sort of games against Liverpool do tend to bring out the best against him you know he scored before against Man City on his first ever Manchester derby he actually skinned Trent Alexander-Arnold a while ago at home against Liverpool so you know hopefully he's going against England and this being a big game can really fire him up and we always say about these big games they are both a potential nightmare but also they are a big opportunity because if you get a good result in these kind of games, it does have the potential to kind of turn around your season. Yeah, and as you say, Rashford has, has performed in many big games before. Who would you start alongside him? Uh, because Dan James looks like he'll be fit. He did have a head collision for Wales, but I, th- I think he he's fine. Um, Anthony Martial potentially back. Martial will be... A put- it, it's a difficult one. I was going to say Martial would be a, a game-changer for United. Now, he could be a game-changer for United, but he can be very inconsistent. I think if I think if Martial is fully fit, you you've got to start him, just because I don't see anyone else who who would come in and do a better job than Martial. It is always a little bit of a risk because he is very inconsistent. But I'd much rather play Martial knowing that he might not perform to his best than play someone like Pereira or Mata who. Yeah, you know absolutely. that their ceiling is is very limited. Yeah, I think I think if if Martial's name is on the team lineup and and Pereira or Mata is not, then I will feel much more confident in that hour before the game kicks off on Sunday. And it, you know, in in some ways, stuff like this, you, got, you kind of got to think think of it from Liverpool's perspective. Yeah, if you're a Liverpool defender sitting in that change room, whose name would you be? I mean, I don't think any of them will really scare you, but who would you be least happy to see on that team sheet? It's not Pereira, it's not Mata, it's probably Anthony Martial. Well, out of any of the United players. If if Liverpool are looking at United squad, there's probably two players, three who scare them: Rashford, Pogba, and Martial. 
and potentially Dan James because of his pace. But I think Liverpool yeah. have a good enough defence and, and good enough fullbacks to deal with that. Um, yeah, I think if I had to choose my front three, I'd probably go with with Rashford on the left, Martial up front, and and Dan James on the on the right. Yeah, I'd go with that. Just because I, I think Rashford. A spell out on the left could be good for, for Marcus Rashford because I think that's where he's actually at his best. And we've had this conversation so many times over the last three, four years. Um, where is, is Marcus Rashford a centre forward? Not really, is he? No, he's not. I think and he's yeah, only a on centre left, forward if he's playing with someone else up front. Yeah, and on the left he, he shows some serious And obviously quality. very few teams want to play yeah, two up front anymore. United would have to change their entire system to accommodate that. Although, I, as we've said, we discussed the three at the back and and a front two of, of Rashford and, and Martial with Greenwood coming in from time to time. Yeah, which I really do hope that we yeah, try it would some be, point. It would be exciting. Whether it would work, and it's not just some kind of football manager of FIFA ideal, as, as so many things that, that fans say yeah. are, we, we'd see. But I think it would be exciting. Um, what are you going as your, your prediction for the Liverpool game? I, I, I'm scared to ask this. I'll be very interested to see how Liverpool set up because traditionally in the last few years, despite how well they've been doing and how poorly we've been doing, they come to Old Trafford and they don't they don't really play that expansively. They look to kind of sit in, control the game, yes, but not not go out all guns blazing on us. And I wonder if the the huge contrast in our form at the moment will encourage Klopp to be a little bit more risky but I actually don't think it will I I think Liverpool will, would be content getting out of Old Trafford with a draw yeah so I'm actually gonna go I think with a one-all draw Oof. I think Liverpool are by far a better team than us and if they come out and play the way that they usually do they will absolutely trounce us probably three or four nil yeah but I just think that they won't they won't come out all guns blazing they'll kind of sit back Maybe control possession and control the game, but not not really try and play in a risky manner. And I think they'll probably nick a goal, but I think that will give us a little bit of a chance as well. Yeah, I mean, they often seem... I mean, the Liverpool of last year that came to United could have been Premier League champions and, and almost were. And yet they they kind of seem stifled by the the occasion at, at Old Trafford. Um, it should be yeah. a really good atmosphere. The, the Red Army section have... 1,400 seats for this game in the Stretford End lower tier uh, many more people than that applied and it should be an incredible atmosphere United Liverpool games normally are and to be and to be fair to United the new um, the new Jay Stand initiative really is making a big difference yeah. I, I went in the in the Red Army section on for the Arsenal game and they everyone who's who's a regular in that section uh, said it was probably the worst they've heard it uh, and it, it was pretty good, um, but yeah, I think this Liverpool game will be be huge. I mean, you can hear it. You can hear it even in sort of nothing games, like even the, the Europa League game against the yeah, Star. Yeah. There was the crowd was up for it the entire game, even though it was a Thursday night game against a nothing team, and it was a very bad game. So the yeah. entire the entire game, you could still yeah, hear that's them a big singing. change. I was there at the Rochdale game, not sitting in or not standing in the in the Red Army section, and yet. It was a brilliant atmosphere. It was one of, the, honestly, one of the, weirdly, one of the best atmospheres I've heard at Old Trafford over the last two seasons. And yet it was Rochdale and, and we drew 1-1 in a, in a terrible game. <laughs> um, right, you've gone 1-1. I'm going to go, I'm tempted by 1-1 as well. No, I'm going to go 2-1 Liverpool. I think this is the first time I've ever predicted United to lose on the Manchester United <laughs> podcast. And this is our, I don't know, 100 
60th, 170th, no idea, somewhere around there. Episode. Well, like Paul Merson predicting Arsenal to do the Invincibles every season. Yeah, and Mark Lawrenson does the same with Liverpool. I, I predict draws a lot of the time. It's just, I always feel bad predicting United. I don't want to send people off whether they're on their no, commute exactly, or anything exactly. with the idea that United are going to get beaten. So I kind of just lie through my teeth to try and... Maybe we should just say to listeners from now on, whatever we say, just take a goal off from United and that's like our real prediction. Yeah, what? So, so mine's going to turn into a 2 level Liverpool comfortable win. No, I, I, I genuinely yeah. think Liverpool will win 2-1, but I'm sure that will change when I find out how injured David De Gea is or, or how yeah. injured Anthony Martial is, etc. Um, right, we've run over a bit already, so... Um, not going to do too much on the on the youth teams. All you need to know is Adriel Gomez scored twice for England's under-20s. Brandon Williams played in both of those games. Mason Greenwood was forced to pull out of England's under-21 side with a back injury, but he should be okay soon. Uh, younger levels, Jimmy Garner scored from the spot as he captained England um, in one of their games and played in both of their games. Ted and Mengi played for England's under-18s. Will Fish for England's under-17s. Harvey Neville... Uh, son of Phil was called up for the Ireland under-19 side Hannibal Medjbury involved for France under-17s Ethan Galbraith and Kieran O'Hara in the youth sides for Northern Ireland and Ireland respectively and Dean Henderson Lone Star at Sheffield United received his first senior call-up for England but didn't play in women's news which is much more important there was good news uh, United secured their second victory of the season after, after a tough start to the campaign they faced Spurs a team who finished behind United in the WSL Championship last year and was promoted alongside them an own goal was sandwiched between strikes from Hansen and Ross while Lauren James was sent off in the last minute as Casey Stoney's side triumphed 3-0 at the Hive in North London the Reds now come back home to host Manchester City in the second ever derby between the sides that's on Sunday before United men's face Liverpool you can go and watch at Lee Sports Village. It's an FAWSL Cup match. Right, we're we're gonna have to leave it there on Series Five, Episode Eleven of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. Thank you for listening. As always, if you're enjoying the show, and it seems quite a few of you are, because we just hit our half a millionth listen. Is that the right phrase? I think it is. More than five hundred thousand listens now. So thank you for everyone who has tuned in since uh, what is it, January twenty sixteen? Somehow, our fifth series. Yeah. Um, and still not incredible. one has been positive. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have chosen the the worst time, or maybe the best time, because it gives us a lot to talk about to to have a Manchester United podcast. Um, for more from Jack throughout the week and his reactions, immediate reactions to the Liverpool game, you can find him on Twitter at at utd tate t a i t, and you can find me on Twitter at harry robinson sixty four, and the podcast itself at utd weekly pod. That's pod at the end there. Have a great week. Try and enjoy the Liverpool game, no matter the score. Um, Podcast Network.